proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The confessional collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. I'm your host, Aaron Carr, with my co-host, Zach Fisher, out of Monroe, Michigan, the 1689 guy, and Chris Santola, Hesperia, California, the three forms of unity guy. How are you guys doing? Good, man. How are doing you? Doing well. All right, let's throw out just a quick uh, softball question to each of you. Give me something meaningful that's happened this week and maybe something meaningless. Zach, what's been going on? This week? Yeah. Uh, okay, something meaningful. Um, Sunday morning, we're going through Romans, so we just covered chapter 2 this past week. That was really interesting. Romans is always meaningful. Roman, Romans is always meaningful. My teaching on Romans may or may not be meaningful, but I'm hoping it is. Just as long as it's not heresy. Right. I, so <laughs> Someone actually did raise a question uh, during, during the lesson about a verse that I actually did, I think, get wrong, like the meaning of it. And so I was challenged by a student, and I had to humble myself and say, you know, I think you're right. So that's meaningful. Praise God you're humble. Yeah, I try to be. <laughs> it's a struggle sometimes. <laughs> and and something meaningless? Meaningless. Um, let's see. I like I like to play guitar. I've been playing guitar for like twelve years. Do you have a certain guitar you play? Uh a J- Gibson J forty five. And because I'm so musical, is that Chris knows what that is, right, Chris? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, like I'm out of the loop. You guys are speaking like a foreign <laughs> language here. We're speaking in tongues. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> as long as we have an interpreter. Right. Chris, it's your turn, man. What's going on in California right now? Give me something meaningful, something meaningless. Oh, man, something meaningful. Uh, it is still warmer here than Michigan, uh, so that's cool. Isn't that always um, the case? <laughs> well, You know, I don't know, man. There was a day a while back where I think you guys actually were, uh, were warmer than we are here, but uh, I don't know how that happened, but... Uh, must be the whole climate change thing, but uh, so <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's been a little meaningful. It's it's been a, a beautiful week. I actually turned thirty nine uh, on the fourteenth last Saturday, and so uh, Yay, al- happy almost birthday. to the big four zero. Hey, thanks. <laughs> um, something meaningless. Uh, my Seattle Seahawks went up against the Atlanta Falcons. And, and lost. That's, <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> the dirty birds beat you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was not uh, not exactly what I was hoping for on my birthday, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, things to look forward to when you turn 40. All right, so let's, let's jump in. Today we're going to begin to look at the doctrine of God, and theologians throughout the centuries have found several sources from which they develop their ideas of God. Uh, just to name a few, there's reason, church authority. Um, obviously, we, we look at the, the, the idea of special revelation and, you know, general revelation. But quickly walking through those, just off the top of your guys' heads, which of those um, are useful to you and why? Uh, I think, I think uh, special revelation, in, in my mind, it just off the top of my head, seems to be like primary. The other things I think we have to keep in check, um, things like reason, 
things like, uh, especially church authority, when you think about Roman Catholicism, things like that, we have to kind of submit the other ways of knowing about God, I think, to special revelation in Scripture. So off the top of my head, it seems like uh, special revelation would be the most useful to me personally. Although I see how the other ones tie in, and they are useful. But Chris, what are your thoughts? You know, as I consider them, even in just the order of a special revelation, general revelation, church authority, and reason, I kind of see a, a hierarchy of uh, modes of revelation, you might say, or means of revelation. Um, you know, I tend to think of general revelation in the sense of there are certain things that we can perceive about God, uh, such as, you know, Romans 1 says, but that without special revelation, we don't have any saving knowledge. We don't have an intimate, personal knowledge that's given to us. And so, you know, I tend to really lean hard into special revelation, while then I think through the lens of that, looking at general revelation and gleaning from that. And uh, and then as you consider throughout, you know, the last 2,000 years uh, of church history and considering church authority and then just plain reason that you've seen expressed in the, the lives of godly men throughout the ages, uh, that I, I kind of approach them in that order. As you look at those that list, where, what about reason in the sense that um, we, we, we have to make judgments, we have to make... Uh, you know, uh, decisions in the sense of the way we view God, uh, just based upon, like you said, general revelation and, and the building off of that, where, where does reason, where, where is it dangerous? Where, where, I mean, you mentioned church authority, Zach, mm -hmm. but reason also can be dangerous when we start yeah. to mm -hmm. put things in perspective, just because we have a broken lens or right. a blurry lens um, and the way in which we see the world. So speak to that, guys. Yeah, reason um, is useful. I think if you're going straight straight to reason without really giving thought to the other ways, um, our, our faculties are corrupted, like by sin, you know. So our reasons and our emotions and our and our hearts especially can can deceive us. Just if we're just thinking like left brain logically all the time, uh, you know. Like I said, our faculties are corrupted by sin, so that can that can lead to wrong conclusions. Yeah, you know, I'm actually glad that uh, you brought up this point, because I was thinking about this uh, when kind of thinking over those things, that uh, I think reason becomes a problem when we begin to make reason an ultimate authority, uh, and we start moving away from allowing God to be that ultimate authority, that, uh, you know, God's word is God's word whether I believe it to be or not. Uh, you know, God's truth is truth, whether I believe it to be true or not. And that's where our reason can get us into trouble. And uh, I think when it comes down to even just various forms of apologetics and uh, epistemology, that we, we have to approach it with the presupposition uh, that it is what it is because God has said it is what it is. Um, that that my reason doesn't come into play until a later stage in the game, so to speak. I mean, isn't it true that you know you look back in church history and you look at 18th, 19th century? 
theologians, and even obviously moving into the 20th and the 21st century theologians, they allowed their lens of reason to be how they dictated the Bible. Uh, the old joke, you know, about Thomas Jefferson, which, which is true. I mean, he ripped out portions of Scripture because he just couldn't accept what was said. He allowed reason to be the metric by which he determined who God was. And we see scholars doing that even today. Uh, I remember being in seminary and having um, somebody talk about the 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 uh, the, the um, parting of the Red Sea, and my professor quickly uh, told us a, a scenario where a professor at a liberal school was saying basically how it couldn't be true, and basically the Red Sea was really the Reed Sea, and you know they just walked through just a ankle deep puddles. Yeah. And my professor said, as a student, he raised his hand and said, well, that's still a miraculous uh, thing, you know, because God drowned all those Egyptians, just a little bit of water. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But it's, but it's reason that causes these, these, these doubts in the sense, because the lens of reason, uh, we, we bring with it our baggage of bias and we see theologians do this repeatedly, um, you guys have any further thoughts on the idea of how re- uh, reason needs to be reined in? Uh, just really quick, you think about, I don't know if it's every year, but I know in years past they've had like the annual, like basically the atheist conference, which is called the Reason Rally. And so you've got people there championing logic and reason, and then look how far off the mark they really are because they're not looking to, they're not starting with God to rein in their reason, and they're just going off, you know. So all this really pushes back on what we talked about last week about the importance of Scripture as mm-hmm. the foundation and why each of the confessions start with that as the primary beginning yes. of, of, of each confession. Um, I want to quickly just move in, in the direction of the fact that the knowledge of God is linked with eternal life. And so if we're going to talk about the doctrine of God, there is very clearly in John chapter 17, verse 3, this connection that's made between eternal life and the knowledge of God. And this is what John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So there's obviously this idea of association between knowledge and eternal life. And in a sense, we have to be careful, therefore, that our knowledge of God is the knowledge that God has given. Otherwise, eternal life isn't going to be obtained or had or whatever word you want to place in there. Yeah. Um, it's funny that, not funny, haha, but when Christ is, this, John 17 is the high priestly prayer, so Christ is praying for his disciples. And it's not only the 12, because later on he says that it's, he's not only praying for them, but also those that come to faith through their testimony. You know, So their testimony um, the gospels that are passed down to us, all that's taken in, into consideration um, when we, w- we have our knowledge of God from that, you know what I mean? So even through Christ's prayer, we see that that was his desire, that they would know the true God as he's revealed himself. And, and therefore, this, this knowledge of God, then therefore, we'll call it you know, theology, it always produces doxology. Yeah. And that's the result. And so I think going back to last week's podcast, we talked a little bit about heaven and the quest of the ongoing quest of more and more knowledge of mm-hmm. God. And you can see how this, this theology, this knowledge that God has revealed of himself and the way in which we understand him should produce in us this awe and wonder. I guess, Chris, I would ask you, why do you think it doesn't? produce that in the average churchgoer. They come to church reluctantly, kind of almost like, well, I got to do this is my duty. They show up and sermons preached from God's word. God is made uh, known through through the preaching, 
and yet they sit there and they're just kind of going through the motions of of worship and 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 speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think that it's probably a two-sided issue. Um, uh, from the one side, I think that we as a culture, uh, even the Christian culture, if you want to call it that, have kind of been conditioned to take God very lightly. And it's interesting, I was just actually talking to uh, someone at the office about this earlier today, that you know we come to the end of our service where we have come before the Lord in worship and adoration, and we have sung, and we have heard the Word of God proclaimed, and yet within seconds of the benediction, people are already mentally just going a whole different direction. And I was just expressing how I find that so strange that we wouldn't be walking out and just going, wow, you know, what, what do I do with this? Um, you know, that we've come to take God so lightly, so trivially within our culture. And I think what's been lost in that is what the scripture would refer to as the fear of the Lord. I think on the other side of that coin, uh, in some cases, maybe we have to question uh, what is being preached. Um, what are people hearing from the pulpits? Uh, are, are they hearing that God is just, uh, you know, kind of a grandfatherly figure who just sort of sits in heaven and, and pats his kids on the head and, you know, everybody's just kind of all right and that he's just, you know, very, very big emphasis on the love of God and the, the friendship of God when perhaps people might need to hear within our culture that God is dangerous, um, that he is loving and he is good, but that he is also dangerous. I think that, uh, you know, that we need to come before him with that kind of a holy fear that, uh, of who it is that we come before. And that maybe if we were uh, a little more aware of that, it might create in us uh, a deeper awe and reverence and humility before him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, part of the reason sometimes people, like you said, Chris, just space out after, you know, the, the opening or the benediction is, um, you know, part, part of it is because our culture, um, is such like a, a little soundbite driven, like everybody has such a short attention span now, you know? Um, and, and I, our culture just kind of breeds that everybody wants to read a little tweet. We don't want an entire book, you know? Um, and, and so I think that unfortunately that trend carries over into church. And so it's hard for people surrounded in a culture like that to discipline themselves to, okay, I need to pay attention to what I'm hearing this pastor preach because it's truth. He's teaching me about God. This is a big deal. You know, um, I can't just brush it off or pay attention for five minutes and then zone out. I mean, often we see in Paul's writing, he'll be talking about uh, the doctrine of God and all of a sudden he just busts forth in praise. Yeah. And I think that is missing. And I think you guys are nailing it. It's because we have such a, uh, a watered-down view of God, mm-hmm. and we want a God that fits in a nice uh, uh, hour worship <laughs> seri- you know, yeah. series. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't go beyond that. I want to be able to come in, have my coffee, uh, sit in a comfortable spot. Don't ex- don't expect too much of me. Your job is to entertain mm-hmm. me up there. You know, don't 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 make me uncomfortable. And 
we, 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 I guess we just live in a society today that there's nothing expected of us, and therefore in the preaching there's nothing expected yeah. of us. And so as you said, Chris, it, it really starts there is what really is being proclaimed. Yet when you sit in a, in a church where you're moved because your pastor just preached a very powerful sermon in the sense of not just through his ability, but because he preached the Word of God, and God was made very uh, uh, tangible through that sermon— you look around and you notice people that are left unchanged. And again, it just comes back to uh, the spirit works mm. <laughs> and the effectual calling. And I think it just should bring chills to us to think, Lord, don't ever leave me unmoved. Yeah, you know, from a sermon. And I think that's one of the ap- applications we can make from this is that there should be a desire and an expectation that the Word of God, then and the knowledge of God would change us. Yes. And, you know, I think even when it comes down to the gospel message itself, uh, which is a pretty comprehensive message, but even in its simplest form, that we talk about the death of Christ for sinners, that Christ died in my place, that he died for my sin, uh, that the, the Word of God is ultimately pointing us towards that gospel, and I think sometimes even as we leave out certain aspects of that, uh, we leave out kind of the the profundity of it, that it's going to affect us doxologically. I mean, if we don't think that what Jesus has done for us is really that amazing, then our response in praise and worship is going to be lacking. You know, don't you guys think that one of the things—we're talking about things that are missing— And one is doxology that flows from theology. But another thing that seems to be missing in in the church today is a healthy dose of mystery about God. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we, we, again, going back to that analogy, we want a God that we can put in a box and explain, and we've got handles we can carry him around and Mm -hmm. show him off to our friends, but we we don't want a God that expects too much of us. And I, I just looking at Scripture, Deuteronomy 29, 29 comes to mind. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the revealed things belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. And it's the end result that we may do, right? Right. But it's not that we're accountable to the secret stuff, which is, as a pastor, I spend more hours in my office with people trying (laughs) to help them understand they're not accountable (laughs) to the secret will of God. They're they're accountable to the revealed will Mm -hmm. of God. And, you know, where am I supposed to go to college? Who am I supposed to marry? What, you know, what, what color pajamas am I supposed to sleep <laughs> in at night? Those things are not, you know, what we're required to know and do. And, but what we are is, is, is the things that God has revealed to us. I, I remember one time I got in trouble because I, I explained to the congregation, you know, all things being equal and you're dating uh, a girl and, and marry the pretty one. Right. right. Be- <laughs> because the bottom line is there's not like this secret idea, I think, sometimes that we like to have. Um, but but coming back to that, the mystery aspect, and I, I just want to take a minute and I, I want to quote uh, Bavink here. He says, all dogma, all theology is ultimately a mystery. And when you read that, I mean, first of all, I mean, it, it's pretty profound to think about all dogma, all theology is a mystery. But the doctrine of the Trinity, right. uh, the incarnation, the you know the virgin birth, mm-hmm. um, the resurrection, and Christianity is just uh, covered in mystery, and yet today 
we point fingers at the liberals, but we do much the same thing. We try to make it so palatable that we remove the mystery. What do you guys say to that? Yeah, that's a really challenging thing for me personally, because one of the things that drew me to Reformed theology um, early on, not like I'm some veteran in Reformed theology, but (laughs) within the last five or six years um, was that Reformed theology had a lot more answers to hard questions about God, about election, about all that stuff. And so that's what really attracted me to the Reformed tradition uh, at the outset. Uh, and so now it's, it's kind of coming full circle because now we, have to, we do have to realize and admit, listen, even with all these answers and, and a consistent biblical theology, a biblical hermeneutic, there still is a ton of mystery. And so that's something that I have to constantly remind myself. I don't have to have an answer for every single person about everything. It, it, I don't know isn't always a bad thing to tell somebody, and sometimes that's what we should say, rather than, than like you said, dumb it down to where I have a cookie-cutter answer for every single, every single hard question, you know? And, and yeah. yet this mystery, right, Chris, doesn't mean that we can't know God. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, while we may not know God exhaustively, we can definitely know God truly. And, you know, I, I'm kind of with you with, uh, you know, I've always wanted to find the answers. I want to have the answers for people. And Scripture has given us a ton of understanding about who God is. Uh, there are those secret things that only belong to the Lord. And, uh, and I'm thankful that I don't have to be accountable to know those things. You know, I, I've described this before as a uh, you know, as I was forming a lot of doctrinal views, I would keep building upon what I already knew about a particular doctrine. And I'm thinking like along the lines of uh, Ephesians chapter one and God's sovereignty and salvation uh, and his electing grace. You know, it says uh, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so in God's choosing us, uh, God choosing everyone he's chosen, there is a purpose. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, some have uh, drawn it falsely, you know, duck, duck, damn. Uh, <laughs> there is a, a purpose in why God has chosen who he chose. But we know this, the purpose is not in us. The right. purpose is in God. It's the purpose of his will. And so our natural question as human beings is, okay, so what's the purpose? And I think essentially God would tell us, I'm not telling you. Yeah. It's Mary <laughs> that, the pretty one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's not your business. And so every one of these doctrines, it seems like, keeps ascending up a mountain until all of a sudden the mountain goes into the clouds. And we know it goes on before that. We know there's something else there, but it hasn't been revealed to us. God just simply hasn't chosen to do that. And we have to approach his word with the humility to be able to accept that uh, and to embrace that passage there from Deuteronomy 29, that uh, the secret things belong to the Lord. Let's devote ourselves to the things that he has revealed. Those are the things that belong to us and to our children forever. It's, it's amazing to think, you know, with, with the, when you start to fathom the, the fact that Christianity is just, again, blanketed in mystery, that God has in any way chosen to reveal himself to us, that he has chosen to condescend to man and speak to us because he wants to be known, but he wants to be known in in a certain way and through certain parameters, and he gives those parameters and 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 that and that revelation to man through scripture. 
the, the confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith in uh, chapter 7, uh, point 1 says this, the distance between God and his creation is so great that although reasoning creatures owe him obedience as their creator, they nevertheless could never, I'm sorry, they nonetheless could never realize any blessedness or reward from him without his willingly condescending to them. And so it pleased God to provide for man a means of covenants. Uh, this, this emphasis that without him willingly condescending, knowledge would not be known. And yet he has chosen to do that. And, and he speaks through the covenants. And I, I, when, you, when you focus on that, then why are in the heck are we neglecting right. the word of God? Why yeah. in the heck are we neglecting the, the, the preciousness of God's revealed knowledge to us of himself? And it, it's mind-blowing to think how obsessed with ourselves and our, our existence in, in our um, eating the scraps and the mud pies, right, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. rather than enjoying the feast on the table. It almost comes back to a little bit what we talked about um, on the last episode with Scripture, reading it and, and looking for ourselves everywhere. And, and then that might be part of the reason why we get bored, you know, and why it doesn't lead to doxology because we're reading it with the wrong intention rather than reading it to grasp as much of God as he's chosen to reveal to us and then, you know, be led to adoration because of that. We're reading it thinking, all right, well, how can this help me right now? Which, which isn't always bad. I mean, obviously, Scripture is going to help us throughout our lives, but um, if that's at the outset our assumption approaching approaching the Bible, it's going to lead us to, uh, you know, boredom, which is what we said earlier. Why why don't we why aren't we led to doxology? And it's, I think that's part of the reason why. Yeah, I think we spend a lot of time because you know, like you just said, the the scriptures teach us about God. They do also teach us about ourselves. Right. But I think a lot of times we tend to gravitate towards going there and looking for ourselves in the scripture rather than looking for God. And uh, which I think sometimes even can lead to us forming God to be a little more like ourself <laughs> rather right. than uh, how he's revealed himself to be. And so when we look at God revealing himself, his condescending to man, he, he, right in the very beginning, he, he creates man in his own image, and he creates the world which man lives in. And God's, the evidence of God, the, the nature of God is dis- put on display from the stars of heaven to the sands of the seashore. Um, and then with man, the special cre- creation, he gives him a, uh, a special calling to be the image bearer mm-hmm. of God. So as man walks the face of the earth, he, he sees the characteristics of God on display, uh, loving his wife, um, the, the fact of the, 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 the nature of what it is to to pursue holiness and, and to be, yeah, be gentle mm-hmm. and, and kind. And, and you see this on display. Yet then, because of sin, God now speaks through special revelation, right? And, and, it, and this is an important point, that general revelation is enough now to condemn us, yeah. but it's not enough to save us, right. mm-hmm. where special revelation is necessary if we're going to be saved. And, and when you think through that, you realize that ultimately that, that without God condescending again and speaking and, and declaring the scriptures, because in them we know salvation, eternal life, without God doing that, we're damned. Right. We're, we're, we're left 
in a miserable state of understanding there is a God, but not knowing how to 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 yeah. have that relationship. Yeah, with uh, with with teaching through Romans right now, when we did chapter one, I mean that's all over verses eighteen through you know thirty two to the end of the chapter, where every, everyone sees God's splendor in creation, but, and then the result of that without without grace or without Christ is just further condemnation because they don't have an excuse. And now instead of honoring God, they're worshiping creation. They're, they're switching God for an idol and God's, you know, judging them by giving them over further and further, you know, the stair step, how it goes. Um, and that just goes to show you that without, without the special revelation and without grace being, without grace intervening, uh, if we're just left with the evidence of creation, we, we really are damned and, and further condemned justly because it's apparent to us and yet it doesn't lead us to worship. Psalm uh, 19 is the profound psalm of, of displaying both uh, general revelation and special revelation. And I just wanted to read uh, the first seven of that. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are words, where his voice is not heard. I mean, that's that Romans you're referring mm-hmm. to. Verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth and their word to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like the bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like the strong man runs its course with joy. It raises, it, it, its raising from, is from the end of the heavens and its circle, circuit to the end of, it, uh, end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And of course, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Very clearly, the psalmist there captures how the the general revelation is enough to put God on display, but it is the special revelation which produces fear, right? Which which drives mm-hmm. us to our knees and repentance, and again, just the awe that there's surely going to be things that we are not going to know about God, but there is enough contained in the special revelation that what we do know should drive us to see our need of Christ yeah. and salvation. Um, I wanted to spend a few minutes in this podcast beginning to look at, okay, we understand where all this comes from, and there's mystery, and there's general and special, but what do we really know of God? And it's over the next couple podcasts that I hope we can begin to to work through that. Um, But just kind of starting at the very beginning, what would you guys say Scripture allows us to know about God? Uh, As a whole, uh, there is one God, right? Um, and that he exists as a triune God, so three three eternal persons. Um, I think that can be demonstrated throughout Scripture as as a like a bare minimum, you know, a starting point. Yeah, I think in Scripture we uh, we get a a more clear picture of certain things that are expressed in general revelation. Uh, I think in general revelation we see the eternality of God. Uh, we see uh, the goodness of God. Uh, the, the beauty of God, yet when we come to the Bible, we find those things uh, expanded upon and elaborated in a more personal way. Um, we, we find that, yes, God is eternal, that God has uh, always existed uh, as the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
we find that God is a loving God, a benevolent God, a gracious God, a merciful God, um, that he is a God who is relational, uh, personal. Um, and so I think just as a starting point, those are a lot of the things that we would say uh, Scripture reveals to us about him. In the, in the Catechism for the Westminster Shorter Catechism in question four, what is God? It, it answers, God is a spirit. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his wisdom, being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's the very beginning there that I want to tackle. What is God? God is a spirit. I mm-hmm. think that's, for a lot of people, they blow right by that. Yeah. And in, in, in your guys' understanding, what is it that the Catechism is trying to draw out to the idea of, of God is a spirit? Um, his otherness, you know, he's not like us, um, apart from the son assuming a, a body, right, that the father prepared. Um, he's not like us. So he would be, like you said earlier, unknowable <laughs> were it not for his condescension. Yeah, I think putting it in the terms of spirit is a, a, a good way of putting it in the sense of, like you said, the otherness of God. You know, we exist, uh, we, I think we focus primarily upon our physical existence. We know there is a spiritual side to us, but it's not necessarily very clear what that is, except that we kind of think of it as being immaterial. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and even Jesus would say, you know, a spirit does not have flesh and bone. Um, and so when we think of God in that way, we think of him as transcending beyond us. Uh, Chris, do me a favor. In, in the Belgic Confession, how is it, what, what are the opening lines in its, in its doctrine of God? Well, when it comes to the doctrine of God, it really begins with the Trinity. Um, you know, after dealing uh, several points on the doctrine of Scripture, you know, it starts off uh, in keeping with this truth and word of God. We believe in one God who is one single essence in whom there are three persons really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, And then goes on to elaborate uh, concerning uh, each of them. And and in that, coming back to an earlier question we asked about reason, isn't that what the confession's trying to do? Mm -hmm. It's trying to take the the revealed uh, Word of God his revealed uh, will, and make it known, but reasonably it has to put all these parts together. And here the Belgic Confession has stated it, and it's focused on the mystery, the Trinity, yeah. which we can't tangibly uh, uh, explain. I mean, you, you always end up in modalism when you right. start to play with, a, right. with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet at the same time, it's, it's, it's trying to give us um, handles for something that is just beyond our finite minds to fully grasp yeah um chris what was what was the line in there about uh they're existing as as three persons uh, as far as like their their unknowable attributes or incommunicable what, what was that exact line uh it says uh we believe in god who is one single essence in whom there are three persons really truly and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties namely father son and holy spirit yeah, that, that really just explains why, the, according to their in, incommunicable, incommunicable properties, um, that's really all I can say, because beyond that, it would be communicable, you know? 
Um, and that's why as soon as someone tries to give an analogy on the Trinity, like I just try to shut it down as fast as possible. It's like, don't even yeah. go there. Just stop. <laughs> just stop because you're going to end up saying something horrendous, you know. Um, just leave it you know, how the Belgic Confession says it. In, in one of the things that uh, – I'm sorry. I was going to say one of the things I like about the way the confessions handle this uh, and even uh, the creeds handle this concerning uh, the divinity of Christ, the Trinity, is – that it doesn't only set forth those things in the the sense of what we affirm the scripture teaches. It also is careful to articulate what we deny. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, especially when dealing with uh, the, the person of God and who God is, that it's so important to do that. And I think that the, uh, the authors of the confessions and the creeds really took special care in this area to say, this is what Scripture teaches, this is what Scripture does not teach, just to make sure there was no confusion <laughs> on any of these points, which is funny because even today there still remains confusion. Yeah. It's interesting. You go to the Old Testament and you talk about the confusion, but at the very heart of the Jewish understanding, right, it's the Shema, the Lord our God, the, He is one. Mm-hmm. And, and then in, 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 you, in, you, in you, the very so center of it all, there's one God, and, and in his personhood, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you see this on display, uh, and, and, and obviously as you move into the New Testament, you see it at, at Jesus' baptism and, and, and the baptismal formula of Matthew 28, and, and yet people want to rip all of this apart and say ultimately you just have a God again that 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 is of their own making yeah and and it, it's so dangerous yeah. just to start playing with well, this stuff to come back to what you were saying about mystery uh, this is the ultimate mystery uh, when we consider the Godhead itself um, it is just beyond our finite small ability to comprehend uh, and it really is left to, uh, as uh, I think it's the Athanasian Creed says, that it is to be received by faith. That, you know, we know as much as we need to know about it. God has given us plenty to be able to work with and understand who he is. Uh, but there does come that point where we have to humbly recognize that uh, this is just beyond me to be able to put into a box and 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 tie it up and say okay got my mind completely around that one done yeah uh do you think that there's um a, an issue on the other side of it where because it's a mystery people sometimes throw their hands up in the air maybe like prematurely before they really grasp the particulars in scripture and so when people are making a fuss about the specific terms like, okay, there's three persons, not three beings, not three manifestations, because both of those right. would, would result in heresy. And then so sometimes people say, well, it really doesn't matter because you're just, it's just semantics. You're just using different words and it's a mystery anyway. So how do we respond to people that th they'll use mystery, which it, which it is a mystery, but then they'll use that to not be really careful with their language or their terms? Yeah, I think we got to be careful to not call things mystery that God actually has revealed. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what people are doing in that case. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like that. Um, 
I, I've just heard people before uh, that I've talked to, and sometimes they'll kind of look at me like I'm I'm just being too nitpicky about about just the terms you use when you're describing the Trinity, but it, it's a really serious matter. And although in the end there is a huge mystery left, um, we we do have some things that are revealed specifically, and it starts with God being one, and then progressively as Scripture continues, we get to the New Testament, and then you see uh, Jesus being identified as God, Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit being identified as God as well. And so what are you left with? A mystery. <laughs> don't, don't you guys think that the reason, though, that people want God to be mystery is then if he's unknowable, I'm not really accountable. Yeah, it doesn't matter then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's where I think we have to be careful to say, yes, there, there is mystery involved, mm-hmm. but that God has revealed himself. Yeah, I would agree. Well, kind of wrapping this conversation up and putting a nice bow on it for our listeners, what, what, are, what are some tangible things we can walk away with from, from today's discussion and just moving into the early phases of the doctrine of God? Uh, humility, for, for one, uh, for me, definitely. Um, just being willing to say, hey, I don't know. You know, when someone's asking me something about the Trinity or about how each person is uh, a separate person, but it's, it's one being of God, and they're all three eternal. They've all three always existed. Sometimes it's all right, and we need to have enough humility, or I need to have enough humility just to say, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how it works. Um, but there are some things we can know, which that's usually the part that I struggle with is being willing to admit that there's mystery, because I'm, I'm the type of person who likes to have answers and, and things like that. So it's, it's always a challenge for me to remind myself, stay humble. You can, you can use the term mystery when it's, when it really is a mystery. There's nothing wrong with that. Yep. And I'm, I'm right there with you, Zach. I think, you know, personally, pastorally, that, uh, as I press into these kind of things, that that's the first thing that's, uh, always kind of impressed on me is my need for humility. Uh, as I come before God and I, and understanding who he is and what he's revealed to us about who he is, that it's, it's intended to provoke in us humility and then praise uh, that, you know, this theology should lead us to doxology, that we ought to come uh, humbled with hearts bowed low in awe of this God who's revealed himself to us. Yeah, even with what you said earlier, Aaron, uh, even with the things we do know for a fact about God, we need to be humble in our knowledge as well, because like you said, without him stooping down and condescending, we would have no knowledge of him at all. And so even the things that we don't chalk up to mystery, the things that we're confident in, um, we can't be boastful or proud in our knowledge because he's graciously graciously chosen to reveal that to us. I remember being in systematic theology and uh, Doug Kelly saying, God is speaking to us in baby language. Yeah. That's pretty humbling. It is. When you think about the way you get on your knees and talk to your, uh, you know, your, your, your infant child, right. and, and it's the way God has to communicate with us. So it's yeah. hard not to be humble. And obviously we want to see this drive us to worship. Mm-hmm. Hopefully as we, we, we are doing in this podcast, we're, we're encouraging you, the listener, to get, to get in, in, in a state of, of awe of God and, and understanding that we, sh- we are made to worship a God that is beyond us right. and uh, is, is, is yet at the same time willing to condescend and make himself known to us. So um, 
just hope this uh, this podcast has been beneficial. And I guess we'll sign off. So uh, have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook